Church, today is the holiday weekend. Many, our ladies are on retreat. Uh, so uh, during this holiday weekend, I just want to make a, a statement before I go to Hebrews 12. Um, so the first, first graph is that in World War II, 70 to 72 million people were killed. Amazing number. The Soviet Union, Russia lost 22 to 25 million Germany, 9 to 10. Japan, 8 to 9.5. Incredible. Since 1973, Roe v. Wade, in this country, we have aborted 56 to 57 million children. So in probably, God forbid, but in probably less than 10 years, we will have surpassed the number of children aboard in this country that were killed in World War II. So I'm just going to read a statement, some, some of my thoughts about this, and then we'll go to Hebrews 12. Uh, we, we lament the taking of human life. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts Boast in this, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. Therefore, as we delight in mercy and justice and righteousness, it is a great sadness that this act of abortion is being carried out in our country almost exclusively for gender selection and personal convenience. We believe that life begins at conception. And that mercy and justice calls upon us to protect those who cannot protect themselves. Psalm 31 verse 8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And the prophet Isaiah wrote regarding a true fast. In Isaiah 58, it says that, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break in the darkness and your healing will spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. We affirm the dignity of man because all people are made in the image of God. As our confession of faith says, the Baptist faith, the message, therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love, close quote. We are thankful for countless medical personnel who stand for the dignity of all people and who live out the conviction by a grace-filled love for their patients and a resolute commitment to the sacredness of life from conception to death. We are thankful for the incredible technological advances, especially in obstetric ultrasounds, which underscores what the psalmist proclaimed in Psalm 139 when he said with a sense of, of, of glory he says, you formed my inward parts. You did in me together my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when you knit me together intricately in secret in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. We are thankful for statesmen, men and women of principle who stand for the dignity of man and resolutely speak for justice and mercy. We plead that the God of all mercy, the giver of all life, the one who is eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would visit our land with a repentance that would turn us from darkness to light. We're deeply grieved that we live in a world where men can go into a school in northeast Pakistan as they did in December and murder 132 students and grievously wound over 100 when they fired at them at point-blank range, literally blowing their brains out as they cried out repeatedly, God is great, God is great. And the same mindset caused men to break into a magazine in Paris two weeks ago and murder 12 people, screaming the same thing. Surely this is demonic. The living God will not be mocked. Let me ask this. How can we as a culture talk about the horrors of the jihadist, and it's horrific, and say nothing about the taking of innocent life in the womb in our country? Therefore, we resolve to be people of prayer and love. We will live for eternity and stand on God's revelation. It is indeed a rock and an anchor and a refuge. We will stand against any movement which determines an individual's worth based upon gender, intelligence, socioeconomic standing, athleticism, or accomplishments. We will simply state all people have dignity because they are made in the image of God and a worthy respect and Christian love. This includes the spinal bifida babies and U.S. senators. It includes the Down syndrome children and Olympic athletes. It also includes the jihadist and those in Boko Haram in Nigeria that are murdering countless hundreds every week in the name of Islam. And let us be clear, as the people of God, our weapons are prayer and persuasion and conviction and pleading all flow from the wonder of God in the flesh who spoke creation into being. So we love and we weep and we preach and we preach Christ, the glorious King and the one who's been crucified. We do not wage war as the world does. Adolf Hitler told his inner circle, quote, it's been our misfortune as Germans to have the wrong religion. Why did it have to be Christianity with its meekness and its flabbiness, close quote? That which Hitler called meekness we glory in. That which he derided as flabbiness is the power of the cross. So, we revel in the forgiveness of sins by the work of the cross, and this mercy extends to those who perform abortions. It performs to the poor victims of abortion. There's full forgiveness. There's full reconciliation. We believe our founding fathers were correct when they wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
They were correct not because they were gifted polyglots, which they were. They were correct because they were merely affirming timeless truths that are etched upon our hearts by the finger of the living God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, and I pray that we as a body of believers would stand with dignity for those who cannot protect themselves. That includes life in the womb. That includes the disadvantaged. That includes people that are persecuted around this globe today for no reason. No reason. So don't let us forget. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you for letting me do that. We're in Hebrews chapter 12 and talking about running the, the race well. said last week we went to Hebrews. The, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people that are struggling. Chapter 2, verse 1 says we need to be very careful about paying attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift. It's easy to drift. It's easy just to drift. And then he says later, he says, you know, see to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's, it's easy to be Surrounded by, 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 by sin and, and, and to turn away. He upbraids them, admonishes them for not growing in their faith and their knowledge. He says you ought to be teachers, but you have need for someone to once again teach you the basics of the Word of God. And he says in chapter 12, verse 12, Therefore lift up drooping hands and strengthen weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. It's all too often in my life I have drooping hands and weak knees. It's easy to drift. So I understand exactly what he's saying. But in the midst of this, he says this. He says in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance or perseverance or expectation. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance. And so the question I asked last week, I answered, first of three points, is this, how do you run with endurance? Answer last, from last week, we run, run with endurance as we realize that we have received a legacy, we will pass on a heritage, and we're presently empowered by the Holy Spirit, a great cloud of witnesses. You will leave a legacy. You will hand down a heritage. What you do right now counts forever. Don't forget that. You are significant. The world around us screams, your significance is none. It is nil. It is nothing. The Bible screams out, you're eternally significant. You count. Eternally. And so we come to the next two points. He says this. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So point number two is that I, I need to realize that as, as, a, as a runner, I've got to lay aside every weight. Now, if you go to the Cooper River Bridge Run in a few weeks and you sit, go to the starting line, there'll be about 50 elite athletes who run that 10-kilometer race at a pace that I cannot run for 100 yards. It's amazing. And, uh, I mean, I've, in my prime, I may have been able to keep up with them maybe for 300 yards, but that's it. But, but they have meticulously trained, and some of these people are dressed, they, they, they weigh every piece of clothing. 
They try to not have socks. They get liked shoes because in a, in a race, anything that weighs us down hinders our progress. Now, I'm going to approach this passage that, that the writer's talking about two different things. Things that weigh us down that can become sin and things that are sin. Right now we're talking about being weighed down. So these people are not weighed down. You see, they are, they are ready to go. These people are weighed down. You know? There's a weight there. Um, so as a runner in the race of faith, if you're a Christ follower... The writer of the scripture here says, get rid of everything that, 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 that hinders or everything that weighs down. C.S. Lewis was writing about the cardinal virtues. Cardinal means hinge virtues from the Middle Ages. Hinge that which are, are, are central. And he said there are, there are four cardinal virtues. He mentions justice, fairness, pursuing rightness, fortitude or courage, Prudence, or thinking correctly, and temperance. And, and he writes that, much to his chagrin, that temperance in his day had come to mean only not drinking alcohol. And in the, our country, remember the 18th Amendment? We don't remember the 18th Amendment, prohibition. Uh, but if you really look at the historical context of the word temperance, it means moderation. It means not going beyond that which is helpful. And so Lewis says we're taking this glorious concept and we've made it a rule. And he says he laments that because it really is about keeping ourselves under control. That's temperance. And that is avoiding weights that could potentially lead us into sin. And then there's a little quote, Mere Christianity. You can read it on your own. It's in the bulletin. And he says this. He says, you know, we rightfully so speak out against drunkenness. But drunkenness has the same effect as someone who's overly concerned with their pet, or overly concerned with playing bridge, or overly concerned with golf. His example is not mine. He says, anything that leads us into excess and takes us away from Christ is to be condemned. And then there's a little book called The Screwtape Letters. This supposedly a demon writing to junior demons, and this is what the senior demon says, and I think it's profound. He says this, he says, but do remember that the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy or God, the new believer from God. It does not matter how small the sins are provided, that they, their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the kingdom of nothingness. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual road, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. I think that's profound. He says the issue is separating us from the Lord, making some issue or some pursuit, or some hobby, that which eclipses the glory of Christ, or just, just, just crowds it out. So I just say, be careful. In the book of Matthew, Christ is talking to his men, and he says this in Matthew 16, verse 5, 
he says, the disciples reached the other side and they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You say, what's the leaven of the Pharisees? This is it. The leaven of the Pharisees is, is give me a rule, a rule, 15, 20, 30, 40 rules to keep to make me right with God. That's what I'm going to go for. Show me what I've got to do, 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 and that's what I'm going to go for. And here are the rules. They want to go beyond the rules. I want to go beyond this. You've got to give me this to really make me part of a, of a unique club. And Jesus says, man, that's just leaven. That spreads everywhere and it's disease. Christ says, I want your heart. I want you to love me. I want you to go for it. He says later in the same chapter, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would lose his life Whoever would save his life, excuse me, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? He says, follow me. If you want to save your life, lose it and follow me. If you want to lose your life, if you want to save just follow me. He says, he says, give me your heart. See, in the first Corinthians, there's the issues going on with the church at Corinth, and they were talking about what they could do and could not do, and could they do this on certain days? Could they eat meat sacrificed to idols? And, and they came back to Paul, the same, same song, and they kept saying things like this in first Corinthians 6. They said, some people were saying, all things are lawful for me, and Paul says, yes, but not all things are helpful. And again, they said, well, all things are lawful for me. And Paul says, but I will not be enslaved by anything. He said, be careful that your lawfulness does not lead you to slavery. See, we ask the wrong questions. The question is not, is it lawful? The question is, does it really honor the Lord? Does it lead me to enslavement? And it could happen in anything, church. Anything. And then the same question, chapter 10, they're dealing with meat sacrificed to idols, and can you eat that? And again, they said, all things are lawful for me. And Paul once again says, yes, but not all things are helpful. And they said again, all things are lawful. And Paul says, yes, but not all things build up. So we ask ourselves, do they build up? Do they lead to enslavement? And see, that's where you have to get with God in the open book and walk in fellowship and plead that God would not allow you to succumb to that which people don't consider bad, but it's a weight, and the weight crosses over into an entanglement of sin. Get rid of the sin we so, or excuse me, get rid of that, 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 that weight. And then he closes chapter 10 with this monumental statement, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See, you say, can I eat, do this, can I participate in this to the glory of God? Recently, there's been, a, as you know, an Ebola outbreak in Western Africa, especially Liberia, and there's a woman named Nancy Whitebowl, who was a missionary nurse. Her husband's an administrator in Ecuador. They went to Liberia. They've been there for a few years. Uh, they worked in the hospital compound, and they took every precaution, but one day they tested her, and they said, you have Ebola. And she had to be quarantined. Her husband had to wear a protective suit to visit her, 
She said, I would go to sleep at night, and I would ask myself if I'll wake up in the morning. And then they flew her to, uh, I think, Atlanta, and she's doing fine now. We think she's cured. Uh, she's a six-year-old grandmother, mother of grown children, obviously. And she was interviewed recently, and this is what she said. She said, the ultimate question is, how does my life bring the most glory to God? It is not about us. It is about him and his glory and the spread of the gospel for the good of the souls and for the glory of our Savior. So such a risk, i.e. living in West Africa and Liberia, is most assuredly the right thing to do. And I just, I read her interview and thought, that's it. See, the issue is, how can I bring glory to God? So when we talk about weights that can go into sin, the issue is not, is it lawful? That's the wrong question. The right question is, is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Does it enslave me? Does it build other people up? So as we think about weights, let me just share something that, as, as your pastor, something that concerns me, and uh, this will explain, this little graph will explain it. I think it's up to you. That's... In the red. That means stop, don't go any further. Uh, my concern for, for many of us is that we live life in the red. What I mean by that is we live at such a pace that we don't have time to really hear from God and pursue God. Many examples. Some of us continuously live in the red financially. And you, you don't have the margin you need to be a blessing to other people. You're not following God's purposes and God's will in that. Some of you live in the red physically. You don't eat right. You don't exercise. You don't right sleep. You just go, 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 go. We, 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 have, we go 18 hours a day on the weekends. We go all weekend long. Um, we're in the red emotionally. We have broken relationships that we haven't pursued in making right. We, we don't exercise the grace of forgiveness or extend forgiveness or say, I'm sorry and mean it. And the issue is if you live in the red continuously, you're not honoring God and you can't sustain that. And I, I look at our young people and I think, I think about college loans. Boy I, could, boy, I could go off on that, so I won't. But I just I think we're training ourselves to not live upon God's principles. And it destroys us. And we can't hear from God. In addition to that, we live in this information age where we're bombarded all the time with facts. And, and, and we forget. For example, here's way, one way I try not to forget. If you saw my calendar, there are certain dates with names on those dates. And they're the names of the men and women whom I admire, either their birth date or their death date. And so on that date and on my calendar, I remember them. For example, on December the 29th or 27th, uh, Jim Elliott and four men were killed in Ecuador. I have it on my calendar in 1956. I, I mentioned this a while ago, but in mid-December, a group of men, Islamic jihadists, broke into a school, a Muslim school in northeast Pakistan, went into the school dressed as, as security guards, and they went from classroom to classroom 
And as they screamed, God is great, they shot these kids in the head and killed 132. There's a teacher there with a brand new two-month-old baby she'd brought to school. They killed her and they killed the baby. And I, so, so for the next month, I've got the number 132 at the top of my to-do list every day. So I will not forget. But what happens is this happens and this happens and this happens, and pretty soon it all becomes part of a mass of facts, and we don't think clearly. Don't forget. Don't forget. So, so, so part of the, that which weighs us down is not focusing on the essential and remembering that which is important. Then the second part, and the third point, is that we've got to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. Then the sin is very interesting. Sin, to me, has age-stage variations. There are people here who are older, and as you get older, I believe you deal with cynicism. You know, you just go, well, well, you know, this is, we've seen this before. It's going to happen again. What's the use? And, and for example, Galatians 6 says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Sometimes I need to say to myself and older people, hey, man, don't grow weary in well-doing. What you do really counts. If you're young, if you're a man and you're young, you deal with lust. And men, most men, especially young men, deal with anger and frustration. We deal with covetousness at certain times in our life. Envy. So it's age stage. And also it has family roots. All of us come from families. There's not a certain a person here that doesn't come from a family. And that's, every family heritage is good and it's bad. Some are more good than bad. Quite frankly, some are more bad than good. There are certain people here whose family coat of arms would be, I am mad at you and I'm going to get even. And the Holy Spirit needs to break that. So what's your family heritage? And the third thing is this. I think that, that their sin is, has its own unique DNA approach individually. Know yourself. Know your age stage. Know your family. Example. Kind of silly, but example. It's the beginning of the new year. Everybody here, well, if you're over the age of 35, everybody here on January the 1st does what? We start a diet. <laughs> Ostensibly. I was telling some friends the other day, they've got this cleansing diet. I said, well, tell me about it. I said, well, you can't eat grains. You can't eat sugars. You can't eat fruit. Uh, you can't. I said, no peanut butter, no peanut butter. I said, ooh, that's bad. Um, uh, what can you eat? You can eat certain meats and boiled cabbage and cauliflower. And I thought, you know, death doesn't look too bad. You know? <laughs> but, but, you know, all of us, all of us, um, so I, I thought, you know, I need, to, I need to do some things. So I, um, people say to me, do you hear voices? Yes. When I go by the cabinet and there are homemade cookies and chocolate in the cabinet, they scream out, eat me. Please. So, so I came to my, my wife, who's wonderful, and I said, really, just confession, I, I love homemade cookies. Store-bought cookies, I can turn down. I really could care less about it. But if I hear that it's homemade and you don't own a cat, I can eat it, you know? <laughs> So, so, probably should have said that, I'm sorry. I, I love cats, but not on the counter, you know what I mean? Anyway, so, sorry, I should have said that. Seriously, I was, I'll, I'll just tell you, I, I was with a family, my wife's family, her, her side of the family, 
<laughs> we're staying with them, and he's making eggs and bacon for us. That's good. And the cat jumps up, and he holds the cat, and as he turns my eggs, and I'm thinking, I don't, I'm not hungry now, you know? <laughs> so that's where that came from. I'm sorry for that. But anyway, so I can't eat. I can't eat. Uh, I mean, I, can, I can't say no to homemade cookies and chocolate. So my wife says, my wife says to me, okay, I hear you. But you should be able to just eat chocolate once a day. I said, I know I should be able to. But you don't understand, every time I go by the cabinet and I'm home, I just do this, you know. Just throw it out. Just, and you go by the cabinet 24 times a day, and it adds up. See, she didn't have a problem with it. You should be able to. But she is her brother's keeper. And so as we know ourselves and know we should protect each other and guard ourselves. Because sin pollutes, sin is destructive, it destroys families, church. It destroys lives, it destroys families. It's from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke and it stinks. And and Hebrews, Hebrews 12 talks about, the, the chapter when he talks about weak knees and drooping hands. And then he says, verse 14, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for yourself and, and strive for peace. Strive. Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it. See, see to it that no one Falls, fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Verse 25, see, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And then he closes this chapter by saying, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And see, in other words, he's saying this is serious stuff. You're dealing with God. You're dealing with the welfare of men and women. You're dealing with your, your legacy, your heritage. So this is serious. It's so serious that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to the people, he says, Moses wrote that if you commit adultery, or if, you, if you commit adultery, you've broken the commandment of God. But I tell you that if you look, look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery and you've sinned against God. And he says, therefore, if you're, speaking metaphorically, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to go to heaven maimed than to go to hell with a full body. If, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better to go to heaven maimed than to go to hell with a whole body. He says, be serious about this. One of the things that I lament and I weep over and I, is, that, is that this... This giant, monolithic, ever-present issue of lust for men is more pervasive now than it's ever been. And I think of young men and my heart breaks. And if we're to, if we're to make a dent in this, we've got to be serious about fencing ourselves in and being careful and being filled with the energy and power and spirit of God. The sin that so easily entangles us, and you have those sins, and I do too. And they go from family to family and age to age, but know yourself. So you look at this and you go, help, what do I do? 
Because this is a continuous and irreconcilable war. What do I do? And the text tells us. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus. You see, everything I said in the previous 25, 30 minutes is based upon this. We rejoice in the goodness and the glory and the wonder of Christ. We are worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit as we glory in Jesus. And John, John Owen made this comment. He said, he said, this is not a mere act of understanding or consideration of what we look on, but it is an act of the whole soul in faith and in trust. And if, if I'm to break the power of sin in my life, it's got to be by the power of the cross of Jesus. I don't know what weighs you down this morning. I don't know what sin may have been entangling you, but we break it by looking to Christ. Jesus came and he lived and he suffered and he died on the cross to make new men and new women. Jesus didn't come and suffer and die on the cross so that I could be filled with racial hatreds. Or filled with envy and arrogance. He didn't die on the cross and bear the spite of men so that I could be filled with lust and carnality in my quiet moments. He came to make me a new man. I got to look to Jesus. I was reading a book of letters by a guy named Andrew Fuller, who was a Baptist pastor who died in 1815, but Andrew Fuller was a, had no education, was self-taught, uh, small church all of his life, in charge of the first mission sending out agency in Great Britain in the modern-day mission movement. So, so he's in charge of raising money for this guy named William Carey and John Thomas, and they're in the harbor, in London, getting ready to go to India. He's trying to raise money, and he writes this letter. So 1793, carries on his way to India. And so this guy, this guy's 39 or 40, and he writes to a friend. He says that, that I am unnerved by all the Christian activity demanded of me. He says, I am unnerved by what I read about the Socinian controversy. Socinius was a guy from Poland who was a modern-day Unitarian, or Unitarian that day, denied the Trinity, denied the deity of Christ, mocked the cross. People were listening to him as breaking his, the heart of this pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm unnerved by this, he says. He says, but I, I feel more attached to the great doctrines of Christ's deity and his atonement on the cross for our sins, together with those of salvation by grace alone from first to last these truths are not merely the objects of my faith, but the ground of all of my hope and administer what is superior even to my daily bread. He says, he says the, the, 
the full deity that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for my sins, that my salvation is a gift from God that's given to me, that's guarded by God, that will br- he'll bring me home. These things are not just the mere objects of my faith, but they are the ground of my hope. And you see, if I can say that, and if I glory in that, and live that way, I believe this. I, I believe that, that I will get weight, rid of the weights and the sin that weighs me down because I'm looking to Christ. That's what we need to do. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, 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 the Scripture. Uh, we're so, so thankful. We're thankful that you are God Almighty and that you are gloriously good. Um, th- th- thank you that you tell us here uh, that sin is destructive and it's horrible and it's cancerous and it's a parasite and it masquerades as something that's benign or good, but it is putrid. And, and you tell us to get rid of weights that can easily become sins and to get rid of the sin that entangles, and you tell us how to do it. Look to Christ. So come, Holy Spirit. Let us be worshipers and prayers and lovers and Bible readers and make us your people. And we thank you that we've been, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We've received a heritage and we will leave a legacy of faith. To that end, Lord, keep us strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day. Thank you. God bless you, church.